Welcome to Work is Good, a CSM podcast. My name is Lena Buto, and I host the show with my dad, Chris Buto, the owner and president at CSM. Today's episode is a conversation we had with Philip Meach of Cafe Lusso a few months back. And we recently had Philip on for a conversation about uh, branding specifically and, and how he built his brand. And so you may have gotten a little bit of his story there. Uh, but this one is just we get to focus on what he loves about his work and uh, a deeper dive into his story over there at Cafe Lusso. And it's really, really enjoyable conversation for us and hope it'll be valuable for you as well. So please enjoy this episode. Well, today I have the pleasure of uh, being with my old friend, Philip Meach. Um, we've been friends for a very long time. I think we first met in church. Um, met at uh, EEF. And uh, eventually both established businesses um, in the wonderful town of Redmond. Ours was on Cleveland Street, hence the name, Cleveland Street Mortgage. Uh, very well known um, street in Redmond. And Philip settled here with his coffee business, actually started, um, hopefully I'm not stealing your thunder, I'm giving some history, please, <laughs> please. You know, correct, repeat. Um, you know, Philip started out of his home, um, his parents' home, where he started roasting coffee, uh, and um, eventually the, um, the city fathers didn't like the fact that, that it smelled like coffee and uh, he needed a commercial establishment. And up here, very close to our business, and uh, where we had the privilege of coming pretty weekly. My you know, former business partner, Ted, and I would come pretty routinely until mm-hmm. uh, about dartboard set up, and uh, we would just come and watch him roast coffee and drink coffee, and, and it was a blast. So it's just been, and it's just been great to see how God's worked in, in your life and your business, and not just in delivering the results, but see you walk through it all. So. This is a uh, called the Dirty Troughs, and, and I can't think of someone better to um, talk about the messes, you know, because you, you've you've gone through a lot, you know, you've you've seen this business through a lot, and a lot's been thrown at you. Um, but the idea comes from you know the, the, the verse in Proverbs says that um, you know um, where no oxen are, the trough is clean, but much increase comes from the strength of an ox. And the idea there is that, you know, you can look clean and tidy, but, but be not productive. And, and, and yet when you're productive, so, you know, just inevitably production requires messes, you know, and, no and, um, and so the idea is let's, you know, let's talk about that. Talk about some of the messes, how, you know, how you work through them, what came of them. Um, so without, you know, without, uh, fear of contradiction you tell your own story um you know tell us a little bit about your story kind of you know, start wherever you want and uh, you know how you got to where you are right now and uh, a little bit about you know the business and tell us about it yeah it's been it's been a wild ride i'll say that i drink coffee today i think primarily because i drank coffee with my grandfather growing up uh, spending my summers on our family farms in northern colorado and, um, you know, whatever your grandpa does is cool. And so if you're eight years old and you're at a diner and he turns over his coffee cup to get it filled, sooner or later, if you go there enough, and I think I made him take me there every other day for pancakes. Um, yeah, I think when I was probably around nine years old or something, uh, I turned over my cup. And when you're in a small farming town, um, it's not that you grow up too fast, but you certainly get a little bit more responsibility at perhaps younger ages than many urban settings. And so it's common to be driving 
big John Deere combines when you're nine. And, yeah. you know, and it's cool. It's, it's, it's kind yeah. of fun. So I uh, started drinking it and the coffee was terrible, but uh, hey, grandpa was doing it, so I'm in. And then uh, later my parents uh, were, were brewing coffee and I like to think that I maybe rescued them from some, some coffee, uh, some, some poor coffee as we started to improve on sourcing <laughs> and uh, brewing practices at home. I, I was dazzled by uh, coffee from the retail coffee experience of watching a barista uh, prepare 20 different drinks for 20 people in line, each one was slightly customized. And what, what pulls you in about that is all the walks of life um, that you could have in line, you could have a construction worker, a student, a business person, a, a doctor, and somebody who works in healthcare, you know, whatever it is, and they're all there um, getting a cup of coffee made expressly for them. Uh, on demand and coffee serving is this sort of universal beverage of hospitality and, a, and to some extent a platform that's sort of like social glue in, in a way. And I was just fascinated by that. And so I started setting out, as soon as I got my driver's license, started sending out my resume to see like, could I get a job in coffee? And it took a couple of years, but, but I finally did. Started down the path of working in retail coffee, went off to college to become an orthopedic surgeon, uh, go Coops. Yeah. And uh, what can I say? Um, coffee wouldn't let go. And somewhere in there, I met a, a coffee roaster probably halfway through undergrad. Spun my world around. I was drawn in, and I, I, I've got to scratch this itch. I've got to figure out could this be a career? I could always come back to medicine, but I don't want to live the rest of my life doing the what if game. So took the gamble, switched, uh, didn't drop out, but just switched out of medicine into business. Graduated, started in my dad's garage, as you mentioned. Uh, about a year and a half later, the city said no more. So we took a little risk and got some commercial space. And between then and now, the last 22 years um, could have fallen apart a, a bunch of times and God keeps delivering us to the next thing. So here we are. That's awesome. It's funny you mentioned your grandparents. Um, you know, one coffee experience that I associate my my grandmother. So I was, you know, I was born down south in South Louisiana. My grandmother made us coffee milk. You know, and that she would scald the milk in a, in a pot and put coffee in there and put a ton of sugar in it. And growing up, that you know just had a really positive connotation. You know, it was just that. Well, yeah. So I went back. Years later, I'd moved away up here in the Northwest and went back home and saw my grandmother. Yeah, I was like, Graham, you got to make me coffee milk. And she, you know, she looked at me, she goes, you're going to hate it. Yeah. And I go, no, you got to make it for me. I love coffee milk. You know, she goes, you're going to hate it. And, and so I insisted. And she made it and I hated it. Yeah. Because <laughs> it was terrible. You know? But it was such a positive association. Yeah. And still it's, you know, even though, you know, later in my adult life, I'm like, oh, that's, that's nasty. But it was such a warm, no pun intended, you know, it was such a warm memory and, yeah. and part of the experience of just being with, with my grandparents. Sure. Yeah. So that's cool. Yeah. So let's talk specifically about your work. Yeah, in a technical sense, we, the company sources coffee from all over the world. So Central America, South America, East Africa, and Indonesia. If you're in the 1040 window or between the tropics of Capricorn and Cancer, or the Equatorial Belt, or whatever you want to call it, uh, the potential there globally is growing great uh, raw coffee, and we go around the world looking for great coffees, bring them back here one way or another. 
and study how to roast them, how to develop the sugars, how to transfer them through thermal input and find an ideal roasting curve. So that's a combination of heat, uh, airflow, convective current, time, uh, spin rate like drum, RPM, a whole bunch of cool factors. And then uh, we run some other tests. We look at what was the percentage of weight loss. We brew the coffee. We look at things like TDS, total dissolved solids. Um, we have a lot of cool objective scientific data available. But at the end of the day, you got to taste it. Yeah. So we spent a lot of our time uh, sitting around drinking coffee. <laughs> and then um, we're probably right now a pretty good mix between wholesale and retail. So the other thing that we do is we set up commercial establishments from restaurants, espresso bars, hospitality venues, schools, churches, tech offices, basically places that take bulk coffee and turn it into cups of coffee. Mm -hmm. And we'll set them up with equipment, a training regimen, um, just equip them, um, resource them to be able to get the very best out of roasted and ground coffee. So you say wholesale and retail, and when I think of that, I think of Retail is you sell direct to consumer, but you really, well, you do sell direct to consumer. It's just that it, it, there's no storefront. Yeah. It's all, it's all online and. Yeah. So and, not like a retail coffee bar in a, in a, in a strip mall right. like, like that. But we get maybe a, a couple dozen people a day. They'll place their orders online and they'll, we do a curbside pickup out front of our roasting okay. space. Yeah. And then we are shipping around the country five days a week. Yeah. So um, something that we had always meant to get to in a greater way and COVID forced it because everybody's at home. Right. And so our retail mail order nationwide probably went up seven or 800%. That's amazing. It sounds like a big number, but yeah. um, it was enough to keep the lights on yeah. because <laughs> candidly, because our entire, we lost 80% of our company overnight yeah. over, over the two week, uh, right. 15 days to slow the spread thing. So um, we, you know, credit to the team, they figured out how to um, advertise and find people around the country that were looking for what we made yeah. um, at the at their at the home level, residence level, and then figure out how to make an easy interface and deliver to them um, faster than, than other online uh, establishments. So how would you say your balance of wholesale versus retail shifted pre-COVID, post-COVID? I think pre-COVID we were around 85, 90% wholesale. COVID, it, just, it was almost a total flip-flop. We were yeah. probably a good 80% or, or more retail, at least for some stretch of time there. Right now, um, it, we were probably somewhat close to 50-50 or maybe um, maybe 60% wholesale now. It's, yeah. it's coming back. Yeah. Oh, very, very good. So what's one thing that, that uh, you think consumers of your service should hear? Of your product? All right, yeah, we'll never leave you hanging. Um, there's lots of great options out there, and there's lots of other great coffee companies and, and great roasters and, and all of that. Um, I've never thought of us as being in the roasting business or in the wholesale business per se, or uh, we're in the service business, we're in the take care of people business. We wanna help people get the very most that they can out of their coffee, regardless of the venue where it's served. And if they have, uh, we wanna be accessible if they need uh, help or troubleshooting. So our customer service team is fantastic and um, stand behind our product. I mean, old, old rules. If you don't absolutely love it, bring them back, give them money back. So this question isn't on the list, but why is church coffee so universally bad? <laughs> yeah, it is an amazing yeah. brand. It is practically well, one of the. You have to try. Yeah, it is a be that consistent. It, it is a long and established dogma. That's for sure. Um, 
Well, some, sometimes it's difficult if you have a volunteer corps and nobody's really appointed uh, a captaincy to become an, an excellent executor right. of the thing. And you find that in any institution, yeah. not profit, for profit, whatever. Um, sometimes budget, understandably, um, plays in there because typically they're not charging for types of property right. and so start looking for um, less expensive stuff. Um, but other than that, I, we find more often than not, it's the brewing metrics. So understanding things like brewing ratios, how water temperature, grind size, these types of things, agitation in the basket start to play an effect. The, the only scientific note of, of, uh, of note here is typically people use a little bit too little coffee, and that's not like a, a, a plug to buy more coffee. Right, right. <laughs> but what happens is water, if you think about a brew basket of coffee and you have a bed depth of grounds in there, water has a high carrying capacity. If you ever mixed a glass of water with baking soda, it dissolves, or sugar, it dissolves, salt, or food color, all kinds of things, and water will carry that. Well, as water comes down through the bed depth, it's going to grab all the good things that you want to extract from coffee, and at some point those are expelled, which right. is awesome because now it's in the coffee. But water's going to keep coming down, and it's starting to start grabbing things that are less enjoyable. And so people might taste the coffee and go, "Oh, this is too strong." So what intuitively do you do? Right, you love. We should use less coffee grinds, but you still have the same amount of water. So now it actually compounds the problem because there's less good things to give up. Yeah. But the same amount of water. So yeah. you're, it's very counterintuitive, but if you want the coffee to smooth out, add more coffee. Fascinating. Yeah. Cool. Well, there we go. So um, so we're, we're kind of back to you know, the, the, the proverbial inspiration for this. We're no oxen are. The trough is clean, but much increase comes from the strength of an ox. Um, can you describe you know, the Proverbs 14.4 experience that you had? Something that illustrates this principle where you've had to kind of embrace the mess yeah. in order to get the fruitful results. Yeah, I mean, as, as a product manufacturer, it involves things like transforming ingredients and assembling in our process, you know, cooking, grinding, weighing, bagging, this type of a thing. The old rules haven't changed there, though. Um, you reap what you sow, shovels have to go into the ground, or however you want to think about it. It doesn't happen on its own. And when you are a small company, with no investors and, and just kind of figuring stuff out early on, um, you, you kind of got to, you need to do what you have to do to get it done. That might mean long hours or it might mean, uh, it, it could take the form of any sort of um, hard work. <laughs> so one example is here in the Northwest 15, 18 years ago, we were roasting coffee for a very large, well-established chain where they're the only producer in the Northwest. Sounds dreamy, right? Well, we had a very small roaster and the margins were very small because it was high volume. And high volume and small margin on small production equipment isn't the best recipe in the blender. So, but it, on the other hand, it paid the rent and the light bill and probably half of the heating bill. So we were able to hang out and, and keep going. It did mean 12 hour shifts. Yeah. And, um, that was 18 years ago. I was a little younger, so I didn't really mind it too much. But it was a constant 12 hours. It wasn't every day, yeah. to be fair. It was just you know a number, some number of production days a month. But it's what we had to do, and that was the hardest um, in its season. Yeah. And it 
there was no way we we're going to get by with everything looking neat and tidy and no green coffee on the floor and no dust in the air and you know that kind of a thing. Cool. That's great. Uh, what is uh, one principle or work lesson that uh, people on social media you would like to be reminded? You know that this is going to go out to social media. What, what's a what's a principle or work lesson in general that you would want people to know? Um, I keep coming back to the basics. Uh, in, an, in an ever-changing world, it's probably really helpful to know your foundations and foundations that don't move and things that don't change. And honestly, um, you reap what you sow. Yeah. I mean, it comes down to that. Yeah. And when the payoff is, or how the fruit looks, or how it changes over time, that's for the Lord. But we start with one of the promises, and then pick up the plow in front of you and get to it. Just start working. And, and start working. So um, know who you are. Uh, that's helpful. Ignore the hype because almost every industry there's you, you, you know there's a hundred uh, maybe you have a bunch of competitors and you, everybody's doing everything a little bit different how they're doing their marketing how they're doing their packaging how they're doing some pitch on services or whatever it may be and all well and good um, but if you spend your time chasing you're always going to be making defensive executables, which isn't the worst thing in the world, but it, it might be a little bit more difficult. So I think of when Warren Buffett was describing commodity businesses like uh, two shopping stores that are across the street from each other. And if they put an air conditioning, you're going to have to put an air conditioning. If they put an escalator, you're going to have to put an escalator. If they put in a TV and a sports party, you're going to be constantly matchy-matchy. And um, do you ever really get ahead? Do you carve a niche? Do you have a distinctive message that people start to have in their heads. Um, much less, how do you get to the really, the two most important things, in my opinion, that we do here at Russo. Every activity under this roof falls into one of two categories, either build trust or maintain trust. And so we focus on that. So if everybody is developing a business out there or expanding, um, I would encourage you to think about your messaging in that way. Um, clarify your message and be diligent and faithful and develop a reputation. And then guard it closely because it might take 20 years to amass an incredible reputation and five minutes to ruin it. Yeah, I, I like to think of, um, like in my business, you know, I'm a helper helper before I'm a harvester, you know, and, and just the idea of, and that's, you know, that's true in a, in, a, in a raw chronological sense, right? You know, that in order to harvest anything, I have to help people, right? I have to, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm gaining an income through helping them. So that's true, but it's also true in a philosophical sense. You know, I, you know, if someone comes to me, my first thought is how can I make money off of this? And if I can't set it aside, it's, you know, what skills do I have in order to help you in your counseling, consulting, give you information, my experience, just tell you something you need to know that would help you get you in. It's around the mortgage space, right? It's what I do. But, but I don't ever want to kind of approach it as like, oh, you know, Where's the dollar coming from? And that's how I'm focused. You know, I really want to be a helper. And that's kind of around your idea of you know, building trust, maintaining that trust, is, is you do start to build trust with people because they, they perceive that. You know, that that's, a, that's a palpable um, aspect of your relationship with people. Is they, they, they know, you know, or, or are you just looking at them with a greedy eye? Or are you just saying, how, how can I help you? you know, how can I help you? And, and I definitely see that in your work. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, my own wrap-up note on that is the importance of branding. 
And uh, the one thing that doesn't, I haven't heard in too many circles, I would just encourage anybody to evaluate in their own business, whether you're a solo operator or building a company or whatever, is to ask and have a satisfactory answer to the question, what is a brand? And here at Luso, we think of a brand as the promise of an experience. And what keeps people coming back and their loyalty is really wrapped around the trust. Right. But I, I, I wish every business would ask that um, yeah. themselves a little bit more. What yeah. is a brand? A brand is a promise of an experience. Are you building and maintaining the trust that safeguards that? That's great. It's a great way to frame that. Well, I didn't come up with that, by the way. Yeah, well, I, <laughs> I'm not creative but, enough. But I, but I like that. Yeah, you just shared it with me. So, um, what is one unique thing you do on a regular basis that helps you excel in your work? Pray. Yeah. I love that answer. <laughs> I mean, yeah. uh, um, I think, again, some of the old adages, I, I'm just showing, uh, dating myself here a little bit, I think, um, yeah, try not to uh, to ask other people to do things that you wouldn't be willing to do mm -hmm. yourself. Even you know, you, your job has certain things you should do and probably shouldn't yeah. be spending your time on, so there's right. that. But when it comes down to it, you're willing to do any other task if it comes down to it and you need to pitch in somewhere. So showing, uh, showing for the ball um, and showing the teammates loyalty. Yeah. yeah. That's great. But, but other than that, great. <laughs> a lot. Yeah. No, I love that. Uh, really, sincerely. Because um, sometimes it, it is easy to, um, it's even to over, overlook that. Even, even if, you know, um, even if you're in the habit of praying for your business, it's actually easy to overlook the fact that to be that intentional about when you're mm -hmm. doing it. Yeah, it's, it's just, oh no, I'm praying for my business because I know I'm dependent on God and that's important. But actually to think about that sort of first, you know, foremost in your mind as you're executing on every little aspect of it, I think that's that's what's yeah, and, and, and understanding better now. And pray for your people. Yeah. Um, those are image bearers that are working alongside you um, or whatever capacity as colleagues or, or as employees or whether they're vendors or uh, customers or whoever it may be. And um, take the time to, pe people will know if you care about them or, or not. And taking the time to ask questions for their input on any number of things, because you sincerely want to know, not because you're checking a box. Right. And listen, and really um, listen without an agenda. I mean, listen because you want to connect and because you want to hear. And they may have a whiz-bang great idea. This place is around here because the team has come up with great ideas. This is yeah. not me. Yeah. <laughs> I'm mostly trying to stay out of their way. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Work is Good. If you enjoyed it, share it, leave a review, and listen next week.